Welcome to the Combat Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. My guest today is Frank Mullis, a Matt Serra Jiu-Jitsu black belt, licensed counselor, and owner of the Milledgeville Academy of Mixed Martial Arts. In this episode, we talk about everything from different teaching styles and their effect on learning, to biases in martial arts, even to our present-day masculinity crisis. Frank is an OG in the martial arts world and has a lot of perspective to offer. So if you're excited to dive in, hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher now. The first question I have for you is, what are the different types of teaching styles you have experienced throughout your martial arts career? Wow, that's, a, that's an interesting question. When we talk about uh, teaching styles, I've, you know, I've been involved in a very strict martial arts. I was in, you know, I, I've, I've done so many different martial arts over the years. Uh, and, and I've experienced a lot of different teachers. I've had teachers who were um, very, man, almost dictatorial <laughs> in their discipline. You know, this is the way mm-hmm. you do it. And this is, you know, there's no variance. It's not make it your own. It's you kick this way, you punch this way. Uh, this is this is just strictly how you do it. And then uh, all the way to the opposite end, almost a, you know, very freestyle type of teaching where this is the way I do it. This may not be the way you do it, uh, but whatever works for you is, is um, the way the technique should work. So I've experienced pretty much everything. You know, I've been doing martial arts since I was 17. So I started in 1988. So, uh, gosh, so uh, 30, 31 years now, uh, 30, yeah, about 31 years I've been involved in martial arts. So I've experienced all types of uh, teachers, uh, been to so many seminars, so many camps uh, over the years. I've, I've met some of the great masters of pretty much every style from uh, – uh, even, um, uh, you know, from Joe Lewis to Bill Wallace uh, in, in that style of American karate uh, to uh, several of the high up um, Taekwondo people. I uh, can't even, you know, who was the guy who's the founder of American Taekwondo? Uh, that would be June Ree, I think, is June Ree, the, God, yeah. the godfather. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I, trained with him at a uh, seminar that he did amazing just an amazing man um you know uh, it's a um i think it, you know I, I think it really depends on the uh traditionalist versus the non-traditionalist in the study of, of martial arts as i as i sit there and think about it you know i've, I've experienced the very traditional uh, asian styles uh, a lot of those instructors. Um, and then, you know, as I said, the Brazilians who I have encountered, <clears throat> they've been blessed to train under the best of the Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructors um, that the world world has. I can't think about how blessed I am to have experienced to be under some of the great um, jiu-jitsu uh, masters I've studied under. Um, which masters are that? <laughs> Cause I'm sure my audience um, is going to want to know. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I've trained, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, I've trained under Henzo Gracie. Um, I've trained under Jean-Jacques Machado, Carlos Machado. Um, you know, I've trained with, um, gosh, who else? Um, 
uh, Carlson Gracie Jr. You know, I, I didn't get a chance, and I, I had opportunities to train with Elio and um, and uh, Carlson Sr. I just never never did it. I, I kind of regret it now. Um, you know, I've heard Hickson um, is an amazing teacher. I've, I haven't uh, been under Hickson. I've, but, um, you know, most of the Gracies like Coiler, um, Coiler and Henzo and Rodrigo Gracie, uh, from obviously Matt Sarah, who I think is an amazing teacher. He's my, uh, who I've got my first degree all the way up to my first degree black belt under. So I've, I've been able to train with a lot of uh, different guys um, who have just shown me amazing, amazing techniques over the years. You know, I could, I could talk about each one of them, um, you know, and, and several other of the other friends of mine, you know, Dean Lister, uh, amazing uh, instructor as well. Yeah, I've, I've heard that Dean Lister is an awesome instructor. Um, I think that John Donaher actually credits Dean Lister with opening up his mind to le- the, the, the leg lock game a long time ago. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, it's, I th- it's true. Um, I've actually, I, I, go ahead. Oh, no, you go, go ahead. No, I've done, uh, speaking of John, I, I, you know, I was, uh, I've known John since he was a blue belt. Uh, He, uh, you know, was an amazing uh, instructor philosophy uh, of the philosophical side of jujitsu, able to break down jujitsu in its its basic form. I did a private lesson with him right before I got my black belt, actually the day before I got my black belt on just strangulations (laughs) and Mm. just, and then I've done a seminar uh, on, um, basically strangles and, and arm bars and just his, um, ideas behind it. Um, uh, I tell you another, uh, great guy in Los Angeles is Sean Williams. Uh, Sean Williams, who was one of, um, Henzo's, uh, early American black belt is an amazing struggler. Mm-hmm. They called him John Danaher West. Uh, I actually <laughs> worked, uh, worked his leg lock series that he learned from Danaher uh, with him at a, at a seminar. He's an amazing, uh, the way he breaks down, uh, jujitsu in its, in its form. Um, you know, it used to be in jujitsu. If you would go and take a class, uh, an instructor might show a technique from mount and then he would switch to side mount and then he would show a guard pass. And if you, um, look at, uh, Craig Kukuk's A to Z, um, video series. And I still think that's one of the best, uh, jujitsu video series out there. Uh, Craig Cook, it's A to Z, uh, even though, uh, he's in, he's not, uh, in vogue and he actually, uh, had some issues with master Enzo. So, uh, oh. I, I, I hate that I'm even putting that out there, but, Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, but, um, but if you watch his video series, uh, it's, it is so, um, meshed. He'll go from Mount to a, to uh, to a choke from the guard, to a sweep from uh, the guard, and then to a reversal from side mount. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason. He'll just he'll 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 say, uh, you know, I think the way the videos were set up is chokes, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And yeah. and and it used to be that people would teach like that, and it's very difficult to follow. Now, most uh, instructors teach on a series. Uh, either it'll be, you know, three closed guard passes or it'll be a closed guard pass to side mount to a finish from side mount. 
So mm-hmm. chaining techniques, I believe, is the best way to teach jujitsu. Uh, and in my opinion, I think chaining, um, basically, if you were to take one of my classes, we're going to start out with warm-ups uh, anywhere from shrimps. I uh, spent a lot of time on shrimp, and you speak of John Danaher. Uh, he'll tell you the single most important technique in jiu-jitsu is the shrimp. And if you can't master the shrimp, you can't master anything else. So shrimping is um, yeah. the most important technique. And and he will tell you that people who spend more time shrimping than, you know, trying to do some fancy technique will be better at jujitsu in the long run. Um, oh, for sure. I, I'm always I, trying to shrimp. Yeah. And, I, and it's bad. I hate shrimping. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it takes but, a lot uh, of energy and it sucks. <laughs> it, it, it takes, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we start out and then I do a half hour of drilling. We'll, we'll drill arm bars for, you know, six to 10 minutes, triangle chokes from six to 10 minutes. Uh, we'll drill a takedown for 10 minutes. We'll, uh, do some guard retention drills for 10 minutes. Uh, but you know, we do this for at least a half hour. We're drilling every class. And then we will uh, do techniques. We'll break down techniques um, to uh, usually a series of techniques. Uh, like this pass, uh, I did close two two close guard passes. We worked, and you know, mm-hmm. then we'll we'll do uh, shark drills or we'll do king of the hill drills where somebody's trying to pass the guard, the other person's trying to sweep or submit, and we'll do that for 10, 15 minutes, and then you know we'll get some rolls in. Um, I try to vary up the classes uh, quite a bit as, you know, I've got a couple other instructors, brown belts or black belts that are also uh, teaching a couple classes. I teach uh, three days a week and there someone else is usually teaching two days a week. Hmm. Good deal. So um, in, I'm, I'm curious in a, in like a single class, how many chains, cause you, cause you said you like to, to chain the techniques together as kind of a series. Um <laughs> How many chains will you go over in a class? Um, we we do one chain every if I'm if I'm teaching we do one chain for sure, and that is the arm bar. Uh, we'll do uh, three minutes of arm bars, then we'll do three minutes of arm bar. The person will arm bar escape, and then they'll transition to triangle choke, and then uh, they'll do that for three minutes each, and then we'll. Um, you still there or did I lose you? I'm still, still here. here. Yep. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, I, my, my headset acted crazy for a second. Um, so after we transition to arm bar, we'll go arm bar, then to arm bar triangle, and then to arm bar, they'll escape uh, triangle and then go to Oma Plata. So we do that chain quite a bit. Uh, that that's the main series of chains we do because I believe, you know, arm bars is, is John Danaher will even point out, he'll, he'll point out that probably 60 to 70% or higher, maybe even up to 90. I can't remember this, but it was an astronomical was Juju Gatami is the main submission in the world championships. Arm bars are the main, main, uh, state of champion, uh, the mm-hmm. champion world championship matches. More people are finished by arm bars than any other technique. And so right. his point was, why waste your why waste your energy and time on low percentage submissions? Right. And you know, a lot a lot of times you'll have a, you know, I'll see a white belt, he'll learn the baseball choke and he'll win a tournament with a baseball, or you'll have a guy who's winning it uh with um some particular um Ezekiel choke. Mm-hmm. And 
And and and what will happen though is over time, he, everybody knows he's the one move guy. <laughs> you know, and those aren't yeah. you know again the baseball choke's not a high percentage choke. Neither is the Ezekiel. But you know the I'll see in a tournament you'll see you'll see somebody you know who will hit an arm bar every time and submit everybody with an arm bar. Uh, yeah. Hodger Gracie, you know, if you take Hodger Gracie at the Worlds, I think he submitted ten black belts all with cross choke from the mount. Um, I think that yeah. <laughs> uh, there was another uh, there was another guy brown belt who submitted everybody with the um, uh, with a was it the a twisting footlock um, the uh, and then uh, um, uh, was the guy in the UFC um, uh, the, the one um, oh man I can't think of his name right now but um, the founder of the fifty fifty guard is what they call him but um, oh Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall, yeah, I don't know why his name is early in the morning. Ryan Hall, I, I forget how many people he submitted with a triangle choke. I, I think it was in 150, 200 people he submitted with a triangle yeah. choke. And then when he gets in the UFC, you know, he's leg locking people. Uh, and a lot of people don't realize <laughs> that he could submit people with triangle chokes like like nobody's business. So you do have people, you know, that that's why things like the armbar, the triangle choke, those don't those don't go away. You know, those are just the staple basics of jujitsu. Uh, the Kimura, the Kimura is not going anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But what I found over the years is you have um, positions that come in vogue and kind of disappear. Uh, when I first started, everything was closed guard. You didn't you didn't see anybody uh, around really doing open guard. Uh, and then suddenly there's open guard techniques, and then the, the evolution of the half guard and then the butterfly guard and the spider guard, mm -hmm. uh, you know, began to evolve. And then what happens is, is that people do these particular or De La Hiva, uh, those, those types of techniques, people began to learn the passes. And once those passes are learned, people, you know, just pass those guards. And so a new guard or a new particular guard is going to, uh, come in vogue, you know, of course, you know, you, you have what the, um, uh, oh, what was Keenan's guard, the worm guard, you know, there for a while. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I've seen, seen all these other types of different guards, um, that come around, you know, and then Eddie Bravo's system, uh, that is, that is out there. And you just have people that will, um, stick to one guard and, you know, he'll either, get really good at it or everybody will pass it. You know, so, you yep. know, there are people who, you know, there are people who know multiple guards and can kind of transition between them. So it, it's yeah. a, you know, it, it really varies on, on the, uh, on the particular practitioner and his body style and body type, you know, smaller guys tend to be butterfly guard players. Long, tall guys tend to be spider guard or De La Hiva. The middle guys will be De La Hiva. A lot of us big guys, were all half guard, closed guard and half guard mm -hmm. guys. And so you're, you've got to learn, you know, as a person, you need to learn at least two to three uh, passes for each of the guards because you're going to, in a tournament, or you're going to come across a guy uh, that's going to, be able to be a, he's a butterfly. So you got to know at least two or three butterfly passes. Uh, you got to know some spider sure. guard because you're going to have a guy who knows two or three spider guard um, sweeps. You got to learn some half guard passes, some half guard 
um, submissions, you know, defenses. And I mean, jujitsu, uh, and I know you're the Taekwondo guy, but I mean, and I, and as was I, I was Tong Sudo, you know, I got my black belt about three years, um, in, in, uh, Tong Sudo Chuck Norris system and, you know, jujitsu, the average guys eight to 10 to 12 years. And part of that is just, there's just so much, mm -hmm. there's so much technique. Uh, there's so much to know and I'm still learning, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll learn something new. One of my Brown belts will teach me a new, uh, way to do a submission or even a new, um, variant of a submission or, or some new guard pass. I just learned a new guard pass that Hodger was doing, um, from one of my black belts about two weeks ago. Yeah. I think a part of that is um, the sports side always evolving it because the, the self-defense part of jujitsu is not entirely crystallized, but is somewhat, um, I don't want to say stagnant, but somewhat uh, static, I guess you could say. Um, some of the, the fundamentals on that end do not change. The, well, the fundamentals anywhere don't change, but the basics, I guess you could say, the, the, the main tactics that you need to know really to um, defend yourself with jujitsu don't really change too much. Um, and what I've noticed with Tong Sudo in particular, and then certain strains of Taekwondo, because they, they share a history together, they used to be, they used to be the same art at one point, right. um, is that the, the competition aspect and the, the dojong aspect of it, the training that happens in the school is somewhat, um, stagnant. Whereas with, um, and, and that's where I started. I started in the, in the Sangam Taekwondo and it's more of a, uh, it's, it's almost exactly the same as Tong Sudo, the way we do our stances, the way we move, our, our, our pumse, our forms are, are similar. Um, and then moving to the Olympic Taekwondo, which is always evolving. It's evolved radically even within the last 10 years and is even going through a change now. Um, it's always changing. There's always something new. There's always new tactics and there's always something to learn um, because it's an Olympic sport and it's always changing and it has a, a very um, international... Uh, de internationally developed competition circuit, the same way that jujitsu does. It's always going through phases. It's always developing new things, new tactics, and there's always something new to learn uh, on that front. But um, you could still, <laughs> you could still get your black belt in three years in taekwondo, even in Olympic style. But um, I think that's probably because um, a lot of the the karate based systems kind of look at the black belt as different. Even judo looks at the black belt, the first degree at least, as a, a different place in your journey than um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu would. Yeah, well, I, so, the, uh, there, what, the thing is, there's only so many ways you can punch. There's, on, there's, right. there's only so many ways you can kick. Um, and so, so you're, you're limited in what the number of techniques, but you're not limited a lot in the combinations. Uh, there could be infinite number of, I guess, combinations, but th there's still going to uh, be certain ones that are more effective, like a jab cross and a and a and a round kick, um, or a jab cross and a side kick, or a side kick and a back fist, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so you're going to have that is more effective. The problem with um, with what I found with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu self-defense is, is very, very static. Um, I have, you know, I've adapted over the years, um, different self-defense techniques from different styles, um, yeah. because I, I think that, uh, eclectically, um, it, it's, it's 
a very um, um, with, with jujitsu is as you said it was very static in the self defense and so I, I added in you know a lot of different uh, self defense techniques from various uh, various styles that I just learned eclectically over the years and picked the ones that I I liked uh, the most. You know what's funny and and I find this interesting is um, Aikido. I did Aikido for uh, a few years and, um, uh, everybody makes fun of Aikido until <laughs> you take the Aikido, Aikido wrist locks and you use them in jujitsu. Um, the Aikido sure. r- wrist locks. And I think this is the, 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 really the problem is what I love the beauty of Aikido. Uh, the problem is, it's just, it's a defensive art and, you know, you're, you're not attacking anybody. There are, you know, I, I trained with a couple of guys that were combat Aikido guys who kind of moved the Aikido into with the Itemi strikes and things like that. But what, what I found is once I've got someone static on the ground um, and you're using that blocking the elbow and you're using the wrist, um, you can you can catch a, a wrist lock from almost any position. You know, people still call them dirty in jujitsu, um, yeah. but you know you can call them dirty all you want, but you're still tapping. I, I've made I've made people scream like little you know, not to been little girls, but I, I've made several guys. I, I've I've tapped uh, two of them, I tapped two of my purple belts one day. They screamed and got up off the mat and left. They were so angry. I tapped them with a with a wrist lock. Um, <laughs> You know, so, so, you know, wrist locks, wrist locks, even, you know, you, you take, um, you take the wrist lock and you apply it effectively. You can submit almost anybody, uh, with a wrist lock and they're, they're sneaky yeah. and they're old men, you know, as I said, they're old men type, uh, techniques, but, uh, sure. one of my Brown belts, man, he's wrist locking everybody right now. Um, and so, there, there's something to find in every style. If, if you can make it your own and you kind of modify it for, for, you know, what, what you're doing, uh, you know, I, jujitsu gets, um, gets, uh, called a lot for not having strikes, but you know, the, the original, uh, Gracie jujitsu had punches. It had kicks, you know, Hoist Gracie was doing stomp kicks, uh, which were very effective in creating distance. Um, and you know, even the, the punching and strikes are, you know, the open hand slaps are very effective. Uh, so sure. there, there is, there is something in, in that he pick up, but you know, even what I found, even when I'm, uh, sparring with the Muay Thai guys here and I have, I, I just happened to decide to spar. I haven't probably sparred in probably six years and I, I put on the pads and, you know, I tried to get back into Taekwondo, uh, or to Muay Thai mode and I end up in you know, Tong Sudo, Taekwondo stances, but the sidekick <laughs> is so effective. The, the sidekick, the sidekick is still so effective against the Muay Thai guys. Um, yeah. they're just not used, used to the sidekick and I could sidekick them right in the chest. Hey, sorry to interrupt you right in the middle of the podcast, but I promise it'll only take a second. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the combat learning email newsletter at combatlearning.com slash newsletter. Not only will you never miss an episode of the Combat Learning Podcast, you'll get exclusive tips and resources straight to your inbox. And I'm giving away my ebook, an introduction to motor learning for martial artists, so you can get up to speed on the central topics of this podcast. But that's not even it. 
I'll also invite you to our private Facebook discussion group so you can ask any questions you want or discuss any topic related to teaching and learning martial arts. And all of this is 100% free. So go to combatlearning.com newsletter right now to subscribe and claim all this cool stuff for yourself. That's combatlearning.com newsletter. Um, right. Now they're, you know, because of, because of my stance, they're, they're eating my leg up, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I'm still catching them with sidekicks. Um, and so there, there are things that you can pull from, from every style uh, that are going to be effective. But, you know, again, I'm biased. I believe Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is probably the most effective overall self-defense system. Uh, it's not necessarily the best stand-up system. I, I believe Muay Thai uh, is probably um, the, the the more of the effective uh, um, styles. But again, if you watch the UFC, everything is almost individualistic. Yeah. Um, that you, you're going to have some guys um, that that do well. Stephen Thompson, you know, he's done really mm-hmm. well with an American style karate, and the reason being, he's been doing it since he was born. You know, yeah, it, it's. Um, um, but you have um, you have Leota Machida, who has done well with his karate style as well. But you know, again, it seems that the overall most effective style that has been in the UFC has been American wrestling. You know, American <laughs> wrestling. I think there have been more champions in the UFC that have uh, been wrestling champions uh, than than all the others. You know, I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, then you have some Muay Thai, you know, obviously. Um, but even the the stand-up guys like Machida, who was a champion, and Anderson Silver were both Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belts. Um, so there there is a, um, um, a, I think, a good reason to be mixed in your martial arts and not being one-sided. That was the whole reason I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in 1994. Is that after the first UFC, I was like, "Hmm, there's a problem uh, with with um, with my karate." And I went to my instructor and I said, "Look, you know, I got taken down in um, in a uh, kind of a play fight. It started out as a play fight with somebody, uh, and then they got mad when I kicked them in the head, and then they took me down and got on top of me, and hey. um, only only because they were merciful that I was able to do. They got off of me, um, yeah." And so what I realized is that there is a deficiency in the stand-up arts if you don't have any clue how to get up. I mean, you don't mm-hmm. have to know jujitsu. All you got to do is be able to stand back up if you're a good stand-up fighter. The problem is the other person's a very good wrestler or a very good jujitsu artist. You're not getting up. And so mm-hmm. at least, if, if anything, if you want to stick to a stand-up style, you better practice getting up. You better ex- practice getting out of the mount you know, or standing up, being able to break a guard, uh, or you're, or you're going to be in trouble. You know, as I said, I'm not, I'm very not pro jujitsu in a street brawl with multiple people. You don't want to be on the ground. You better, but you better know at least how to get up is, is, right. the, is the way, way to think about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, as a Taekwondo guy and, and as a guy with, uh, a indirect Hapkido background. So I know, I know, and this is very typical of Taekwondo guys in general. It's like I've had so many instructors that had Hapkido black belts, and they had an entire Hapkido curriculum, but they don't they don't rank any any of their students in Hapkido. They just rank them in Taekwondo. So I have a pretty extensive Hapkido background, but 
with even without the rank and have keto. So as as a somewhat have keto by proxy guy, um, that's probably another reason why I've personally be, been a little prejudicing is Aikido because there's kind of there's a tension between the Aikido and the have keto guys. Um, I, I understand that wrist locks are actually very effective in their place with more control of the body instead of with the typical traditional approach where you kind of are snatching limbs in space and trying to perform the wrist locks um, with an extended arm or, or with without um, multiple points of control on the body. I've, I've been submitted by my instructor, even as a white belt um, a few years ago with a, a quick wrist lock from um, from the ground with where he had multiple, he had multiple points of control on me and, you know, it hurts really bad. It really sucks. You're sore for the next couple of days or even longer. Um, and it, it, it is actually very effective and people do not expect it come to, to come. Um, and that's probably why they get so aggravated because they're used to not having to worry about that threat. But, you know, even black belts are doing it at the world level at, at mm-hmm. in jujitsu and guys are guys are even getting their their wrists broken from the typical kenpo salute so the guy puts his his uh his his hand on your your collar and the dude immediately traps his hand yep. and co- collapses yep. his chest down you know yep. uh i think um jacare if i recall correctly broke somebody's <laughs> wrist doing that like immediately trying yep. to get a judo um grip and you know yep. Sure did. Uh, actually, you know, I saw that, um, you know, what, 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 um, and, and, and it's funny how, uh, people have just made fun of the whole wrist lock thing for years and it becomes very effective on the ground. Um, one of my former instructors, Gustavo Machado, um, he really emphasized wrist locks and that's where I picked up uh, the wrist locks. I went to um, several years ago when I was a brown belt. I went up to his academy, and he and I have known each other since 2000. Uh, and, and I think he got just got his fifth degree. Uh, I think he got his black belt around then 2000 or so. And uh, maybe we've known each other. No, we've known each other longer than that. Uh, probably 98. Um, but anyway, I, I hadn't. He and I had never really rolled, and I rolled with him, and we were doing nogi, and. Everywhere I put my hand on his body as we were trying to, you know, as I was trying to gain position, he would wrist lock me. If I put it on his hip, he would wrist lock me. If I put it on his bicep, he would wrist lock me. If I put it under his armpit, he would wrist lock me. Uh, And so what happened after a point is you become so worried about your hand placement that you just forget um, what to do. You're you're so worried about (laughs) getting wrist locked. That that you you can't even concentrate to to advance your position at all, and so right. an effective wrist locker, even if he's not wrist locking you, he's made you so worried about your hand placement that you normally can't even do your game, and that that's the you know part about wrist locks. I've got, uh, as I said, my brown belt earlier. He he's usually wrist locks a person every match, and I'll I'll come up and show him a new wrist lock uh, every once in a while, and. I'll learn a new wrist lock. Um, I was going to do a private with Keenan Cornelius um, mm-hmm. several years ago, and um, he we were going to do wrist locks, and but uh, he was so expensive. I was like, no. <laughs> and so I called up Dean Lister, and I, I did a leg lock seminar or a leg lock private with uh, Dean Lister, 
uh, for a third of the cost. And Dean and I have known each other since 2000. And um, I will I will say this about Dean Lister. I said, Dean, I want you to put your straight angle lock on me because I want to know how it feels. Um, and so he put me in the straight angle lock. And I will tell you this, and, and I've had him uh, uh, since then do it to a couple of uh, one of my black belts and another one of my, well, both my black belts. I had him do it to them. And they will tell you, it is the single most painful thing I've ever experienced in jujitsu, except for probably when I blew out my knee, <laughs> but, yeah. um, wow. but, but his ankle, his ankle lock, I, I will tell you, this is the single most painful, um, technique I've ever had anyone do to me in jujitsu. And I understand why he has tapped so many people and he, uh, his feet are so, so huge. He, he is almost impossible to ankle lock himself. Um, so that's why he wins so many of those leg lock battles is, you know, of course he started out in Sambo before he got into jujitsu. Uh, ah. but, um, but his leg locks are amazing. And, and you mentioned his thing with John Danaher is the, the story goes from John is, is that, um, Dean Lister, you know, was talking about leg locks and he was there showing leg locks in Henzo's Academy. And he looked at, um, um, John and said, said, why would you ignore 50% of the human body? And that was revolutionary for, for, um, for John. And then, you know, the whole new leg lock game began. And I had started playing around with the 50-50 leg locks and, and people were laughing at me uh, early on when I started doing 50-50 because, uh, uh, silly, why would you want to learn that? And I said, because people are starting to do it. Um, you need to yeah. start learning uh, this and not get behind. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody's submitting everybody with the 50, 50, the saddles, uh, you know, the, um, um, all of the different, uh, things they call the different positions from 50, 50, um, you know, it's the, the, the evolution. If you don't keep up with the evolution, I, re I remember going and did a seminar with, uh, Hoyler Gracie. And Horler taught the Baron Bolo. I couldn't believe Horler was teaching Baron Bolo. And I said, <laughs> I said, I said, I said, Horler, why are you teaching Baron Bolo? He says, I will never do a Baron Bolo. He says, but if you don't teach your students how to do a Baron Bolo and they get Baron Bolo, they're going to come back to you and go, why didn't you teach me this? Or how do you get out of this? And if yeah. you don't know, you're not a very good instructor. Right. So uh, one of the jobs as an instructor is to, um, keep up with what's going on in, especially if you have, uh, have guys who are going to compete, uh, two of my guys, uh, I've, I've been blessed. I, I have two very successful competitors. My guy, Moon Kosami, uh, Brown belt. He's ranked, uh, right now one or two in the, uh, 135 division in, uh, amateur MMA. He's getting ready to go, uh, into pro, uh, next year. And so we'll see how far he goes pro. And then, uh, Quintavious Marshall, he's competing the NFC uh, against um, one of the top uh, brown belts in the in the in the nation right now. The guy just uh, his Chase, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chase. I can't think of the guy's name that he's competing against tonight, but uh, um, he's competing him, and he just went out and uh, placed second in one of the big brown belt um, national um, competitions. So. He's going up against him tonight, and they drew last time on the rules. Tonight is two 10-minute rounds, I think, or 
two five minute rounds. Uh, and if it and it's points based, last time it went points based, and if it went points based last time, uh, Q would have beat him. So it's going to be interesting to see how um, his opponent is going to change his game now that points are involved. Yeah, uh, but but he's become a very good um, competitor. He he wins uh, Naga, uh, and he wins uh, New Breed. Uh, my next goal is to get him to some of the world um, uh, to the worlds or the Pan Ams. That's that's my next goal for him. Uh, my daughter, um, she's doing really well. Um, she's uh, starts wrestling next month, uh, so she's going to be trying to win the uh, girl state uh, wrestling title. Nice. Um, uh, she won it in ninth grade, and then she took fourth last year. Uh, in ninth ninth grade was unofficial. Tenth uh, grade was the first official state girls, and she took uh, fourth. She. She lost on points in the semifinals uh, and then uh, dropped and lost on points. But what I will say about her, she wrestled boys. Uh, she's wrestled boys since the uh, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, uh, last or 10th grade year, she was not pinned at all against any boys. And I think her record was like 26 and 10 um, wow. against boys. That's yeah, awesome. she, she beat 20. Yeah, so she, she does really well, um, mainly you know, because of her back game that she learned from jujitsu. Yeah. What I will say is the majority of failure um, that I've found in jujitsu, and this has been even my own biggest failure, is I did judo for a while, but, you know, I, I still uh, I still hate takedowns. I blew out my knee from a takedown in a tournament. A guy uh, hit me with a low single before I could sprawl and my knee popped. Um, so I've always been anti, anti takedown. I always said, yeah, we'll stand up. If you take me down, then we'll do jujitsu. So the inner, inner, um, the, the, the middle position, the middle game of the, um, takedown has been one of the biggest weaknesses in jujitsu. And so I said, basically my daughter is not going to have that. So yeah. I put her in wrestling and wrestling, um, changed her. Uh, it made her aggressive and tough. Uh, mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu makes you uh, makes you technical and and nice <laughs> to a certain degree. Um, finesse. You just tend to be laid. Yeah, finesse, laid back. I think a lot of the jujitsu, I would say, laid back. Um, but but in um, but wrestling's not. She is. Um, she's she's gotten mean. I'll just be flat out with it. It's made her mean. Um, but it's it's made her very good no gi. Uh, I still push her gi, and but she's just not not as good gi as she is no gi. She just does really well. She's beaten. Um, she's won her last two absolute uh, women's divisions. She's sixteen, and she's been competing against women since she was fourteen. And um, there was just a newspaper article uh, that said um, you know they said that she submits adult women and uh, the the. Uh, male college students. She, she, she goes, oh yeah, I'm going to show them I can submit adult males. So her goal last night is she submitted all the uh, adult male white belts <laughs> and she's, you know, 130 pounds. You know, right. she submitted a guy, she submitted one of the adults that was, you know, probably 260, 70 pounds. Wow. Um, and, and so she, um, the wrestling, and as I said, the wrestling, her wrestling takedowns have gotten really good. I sent her out to Colorado Springs with a group. They wrestled at the army training center and she wrestled with several Olympians and, um, 
world champions that she was able to do. And it really helped her neutral. And so uh, jujitsu, I'm, I'm really working a lot more on takedowns so that my guys don't become guard pullers. Um, I really hate <laughs> guard jumper. I, I wish they would get rid yeah, of yeah. guard jumping. I wish I they would get too. rid of guard guard jumping in jujitsu. I, I think guard pulling, okay, we can we can guard pull, but guard jumping is too dangerous in my opinion. I think John Danaher yeah. agrees with me. And um, the guard jumping, I, I'm so afraid of. I've seen so many people's knees just get destroyed by guard jumpers. Um, yeah, I, I like guard pulling, but I I am so I'm very cognizant of my knees. I don't have any problems yet. But I've had my knees tweaked and stuff before, and I'm really cognizant that I, I try to avoid injuries as long as I can, um, it, you know, into my 30s and, and hopefully my 40s, because I just don't want to have injuries that, that, are, that weren't addressed properly or, or just that, that build up over time. I want to be able to train as long as I can. And um, I'm all about guard pulling. I'm not as averse to it as some people are. I know that, that takedowns and throws can be very dangerous. Um, you know, I've... The, the the very few judo classes I've taken, every single time I've ended up with some you know some shoulder issue or whatever. I, I tend to have weaker shoulders anyways, just because of um, in, you know injuries a long time ago. And um, you know, but jumping guard is one hundred percent. I I am with you and and anyone that that says, hey, we need to ban this at every single level because there's no skill involved and it's very dangerous. <laughs> um, well, definitely you know, get rid of I, that. It, it, it amazes me the IBJJF won't let you heel hook, but they'll let you jump guard. Yeah, um, or knee reap. <laughs> or yeah, yeah. And so that that's been just kind of uh, funny to me uh, over over the years is things that you know uh, the last amateur MMA allowed knee reaping, but you couldn't um, <laughs> you you couldn't. Um, <laughs> you couldn't heel hook and i was in there you're allowing knee reap but you won't allow you won't allow heel hook that makes yeah. absolutely no sense to me yeah both of which are tough on the knee and and a lot of people will knee reap because they want to get into a heel hook position so to anyone who's not at you like any any of my audience who's a little bit lost right now all you need to know is um that 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 the knee that the knee reap is like a, a controlling position where you wrap your, your legs. One of the leg wraps behind, um, your opponent's leg and it's really tough on the knee. The heel hook is a, like a, a leg lock. Um, that's really tough on the knee as well. And they both will destroy your knee if you, if you do it right. But, um, it does not make sense to allow somebody to, to knee reap you, which is tough on the knee, but not allow you to set up a heel hook, which could finish the match. But, you know, there's just all these weird, peculiarities there's those sorts of peculiarities kind of exist in any sport rule set i think but um yeah that's 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 a little a little weird but to uh to actually circle way back around to um what we were talking about with teaching styles we i think we we, we kind of got off about drilling training and the proper way to kind of approach techniques um and which techniques kind of kind of we think might not work very well, but actually do come. We, we, we realize later that when, when integrated with the, the right um, cross training systems can, can actually be really effective, but to circle back around to teaching styles, I was wondering if there are typical patterns of teaching styles that emerge from gym to gym. So, um, you know, are, are gyms dominated by a, 
a single singular culture of teaching style, like a very dictatorial one? Um, do you find that um, there are multiple types of instructors that that teach at a singular gym? What have you found over your your long career as a um, as a martial artist? Well, what what I will find is that every instructor uh, probably takes something from their original instructor. Um, my instructor, karate instructor Gary Jones, who was a Chuck Norris uh, black belt, uh, he uh, he taught very much in um, in breaking down the techniques. And especially kata, we would, we would, uh, katas would be broken down into steps. One, two, three, four, you know, it would be one hold, two hold, three hold. And so what I took from that into Taekwondo or from, from Tong Sudo, um, and Taekwondo into, uh, jujitsu is I would break down the arm bar into five separate techniques I would break down the triangle choke, especially with the kids and the adults, not so much, but with the kids, uh, I find that, that breaking down the techniques and have them go one and they, they say one, and then I'll say two and they'll say two and then they'll say three and then they'll say three and, and so on until they, they do it. And we'll do that several times. And then I'll say, ready, go. And then I'll tell them to go really slow. And then I'll say, go really fast. And so they're learning, uh, the, the techniques, um, in a systematized manner, very slowly by the numbers and then very quickly and then very slowly again. And, and, and we, we work it and work it and work it. Um, that's why I drills. Um, many years ago, before people were really drilling, I had this uh, blue belt and he started working this drill sequence over and over and over. And, and one of the assistant instructors said, dude, why don't you just roll? Why don't you keep doing this over and over? And in about a month, he rolled with our assistant instructor, and he just destroyed him. And uh, <laughs> and then he says, you know, I think there's something to this drilling. <laughs> because what he did is he did that sequence on him and passed his guard so easily uh, because he was working a uh, guard pass to a side mount to a submission over and over and over. And so there is uh, something to that, you know, which really, in a sense, becomes kata. Drills are katas. Uh, even though, you know, everybody likes to make fun of katas, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a kata fan, I, you know, and it's funny. The only grand championship I ever won was in kata. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, so the, uh, the idea of, of kata, but that's really what drilling is, you know, one step, two step, three step that I did. I enjoyed those in karate very much, but that's all drilling is, is one step, two steps and three steps, um, and, and people don't like to think of it that way, but that's exactly what drilling is. Um, we do a lot of a guard retention drilling. Uh, we'll, we'll do what I call the leg over the head technique where you shrimp in and bring the leg over the head and the guy passes the other way and you bring the leg in and you bring the mm -hmm. leg over the head. Uh, that, that to me, that and shrimping, those two right there, Matt, Sarah will tell you, those two are probably the most essential um, things to having a good guard in guard retention uh, is doing that. And, you know, and I, and I think another thing is to talk about strategy, uh, strategy in, the, in talking about how to roll with someone, you know, and you, you've heard this and you know this, I, I've never been able to explain why there is somebody that I can just beat so easily and another person can't tap them, but that person I roll with taps me so easily. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Matt will say something like styles make fights. And, it, and it's true is that uh, jujitsu is the only, only sport where I've seen where you take one guy who can tap one guy and that guy rolls with somebody else and can't tap that guy. The, the other guy can tap. I, it makes, it makes, uh, makes no sense to me. Um, but then there is also levels and the big fish, um, in a small pond versus, you know, a big fish in a big pond. They're two different things. There really is a difference between a gym champion and a, uh, a national champion and then a Olympic champion and a world champion, college champion. There's differences in all of those things. Uh, some people become a gym champion and become all the way up to a world champion. But, but what you'll find is, is that there is a certain mentality that it takes to be a champion. And you have certain instructors and their teaching styles uh, that will be instilled in them. Cole Miller, uh, former UFC guy, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, his school's about an hour, a little over an hour away from mine. And I trained with him a good bit, done privates with him over, over the last few years. And we were talking about tournament strategy. And the week before uh, tournaments, one of the main things that I do is uh, we spend a lot of time on guard passing. We spend a lot of time on submissions, but I work the submission defense um, quite a bit um, in the days leading up to the tournament so that, you know, if my guys get caught in a triangle choke or arm bar or rear naked choke, they're able to escape. And so I was telling that to Cole, and Cole's like, I don't teach uh, – he says, I don't, I don't teach escapes. I teach, uh, uh, I teach offense. And I want, I want them to be offensive. I don't want them to ever think of defense. Yeah. But what's inter- well, what's interesting is if you go and train with like, uh, I've, I've done a few seminars with Jean-Jacques Machado. I've known Jean-Jacques uh, since uh, Abu Dhabi in 2000 and uh, finally got to train with him at two separate, uh, three, three seminars I think I've trained with him at now. And um, he has got to be one of the greatest, not only competitors of all time, but um, not to mention his, his um, disability he has on his hand has not stopped him at all. Uh, but his yeah. teaching, his teaching, the way he broke down just basic stuff, just, I was like, I, I just couldn't believe the simplicity of how he's able to take jujitsu in complex and break it down to the simple. Uh, it's just it's just amazing. But what's interesting is he is a defensive. Uh, t- he believes strongly in defense. You know, his point is make yeah. your defense yeah. so good that it becomes offense. And there's something to that. And I think that's part of the old style where jujitsu was a smaller guy going an hour match with a bigger guy. You know, defend, 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 defend until you get an offense. And and you'll if you roll with me, I'm usually playing bottom. I'm the bigger guy anyway, so I'll play bottom. Mm-hmm. And what I'll do is I'll let the person attack, attack. I'll defend, defend, and then I will get top, and then I'll smash them. <laughs> so I've let them play their game uh, mm-hmm. and defend, 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 and then I come up and I'll I'll attack them. Because generally right. with my, with my guys, if I go attack, you know, I'll submit them, you know, five or six times in the first three or four minutes, at least the white belts and, and some of the blue belts, my purple and brown belts, as, as they are 20 years younger than me, it's not happening like it used to. <laughs> yeah. um, um, you know, I've got some, you know, as I said, it's some, you know, high level competitors now and, 
And for me, it's really my brown belts. A lot of times it's I'm hoping not to get caught. And every once in a while, I'll catch them. Um, but, you know, I'm almost 50 now and they're, you know, not even 30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, not, Studs. They're, not even tw- they're not even 27. You know, Killers. I, I, uh, I look back, you know, I look back and I go, man, where, where's the time gone? But uh, back to uh, the teaching style is there also has to be a teaching style and where your students actually enjoy coming uh, to train. You know, I, 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 you know, we, we have this family type um, relationship uh, here. You know, we, we take care of one another and we reach out to one another. And, you know, if somebody has a problem, you're helping them with their problems. Uh, And, you know, on the other end, you know, is also, you know, being there to um, minister to them, share the gospel with them, um, and and you know, show them the love of Christ when needed. You know, um, yeah. but there's also the joking and cutting up mentality. You know, uh, several of my guys they don't they 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 don't have fathers, and so yeah. a lot of it a lot of it is becoming a mentor and becoming a father figure. Uh-huh. There were several years ago, there was a guy, his father died when he was young and I always looked at him like a peer, even though he was like 20 years younger than me, he always looked at him like a peer and I would joke and cut up with him. And then one day he says, he says, man, he says, you know, I want you to know that really hurt me. And I was like, what are you talking about? He says, dude, I look up to you like a father. And I, and so that was when I realized that there is a, um, there is a time where you're not really a peer anymore, that you are a mentor uh, to, yeah. to the guys. Um, so there, there is that aspect. And I think every instructor has to come to that point where, and realize that not only is he one of the guys to a certain degree, but he's also, uh, become a mentor and someone that these guys really look up to and need. Um, and, and I've tried to, I've tried to be that for, for these guys. Um, but again, you know, one of the, one of my students, um, uh, he was saying that, um, you know, I really didn't know what it was like, what a man was. He said, you know, he grew up, he didn't really have a father figure in his life. And his father uh, was very distant. And, you know, he just, you know, the culture that's created today, um, you know, as one of the, the really the liberal professors at the college here in town said, a lot of soft boys, a lot of soft boys. And I was like, I thought he was referring <laughs> to homosexuals. And I was like, what did I said? Hey, there's always been homosexual guys on campus. He said, no, no, no. I mean, guys that don't do anything but sit around and play video games. They don't know what hard work is. They don't know, you know, what, uh, sure. you know, what it's, what it's like to go out into the woods and do, you know. And so this, uh, this uh, student of mine, he's like, you know, I, I finally understanding what it's like uh, to be a man. Uh, and what men do. And I think there's part of that. And we're losing that in the culture. You know, this whole idea yes. of toxic mass, this whole idea of toxic masculinity. Um, well, if you're talking about toxic masculinity in the sense of, you know, uh, men are not chivalrous, then I can agree with that. Men, men have lost their idea of chivalry. Uh, they don't open their doors, uh, open the door for women. They 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 treat women with disrespect. Uh, the language they use in referring to women uh, is definitely not um, the language that should be used. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about toxic masculinity in the sense of where you know men 
men joke and cut up with one another and, uh, and, um, you know, jab at each other and, uh, go, you know, yeah. go out hunting or go fishing and, and, right. you know, eat meat, <laughs> you know, have barbecue. <laughs> if, that, if that's what you're talking about is toxic masculinity, the world's in a, in a, in a sad place. Um, right. That, that's a, so that's I, a loaded term that everyone has a, their own idea of what it means. Um, you know, I, I think probably a, um, so I think some, some, some that would call themselves feminists would say that, that, that chivalry would, would actually be uh, a toxic masculinity, but then in the, the yeah, next yeah, breath yeah, would exactly. also say that, that, that a, a, a sort of sexual assault rape culture mentality is also toxic masculinity. I'm like the, what is left for like men can't be nice, thoughtful, and, um, try to take care of the people around them. That's toxic masculinity. And of course they can't be rapists. So like, what is there left for men to be? <laughs> um, subservient to women, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I, I just don't know where the culture, uh, where the culture is, is going. I, I honestly don't know. Um, and, and I, and, but what I find is there's a lot of women, you know, I have more women now uh, in jujitsu in the last um, three years than I had, have had in the whole uh, 12, I think coming up on 12, 12 years that we've been open. And I finally, you know, we have four, one, two, three, four female blue belts. And I didn't have a female blue belt until last year. Uh, Matt, Sarah, uh, he's been, I think nine, 18, 17, 18 years open in, uh, on Long Island. And he just got his first female black belt. Um, there's a lady tonight who was, um, who's the main event was the main event on the NFC, uh, jujitsu card and her opponent got injured, uh, yesterday. Uh, and so she backed out and they were trying to find another woman to replace her. And I, you know, I put Catherine's name in the hat, but they just said Catherine was too young and, you know, Catherine's a blue belt. Um, but there's not, there's not that many black belt females out there. Abu Dhabi starts yeah. today, the Abu Dhabi championships, and there's only 16 women. There's two women, you know, two women's weight classes of eight women. Now, I think that has to do with the Islamic bias of women. I think that's why, because, you know, there's obviously more women uh, that are out there today that are competing. But um, I'll say this, my daughter Catherine's goal is to be in the UFC. And if she was a boy, her odds of making it to the UFC would be very slim. But her odds yeah. as a as a as a woman, uh, I'm almost a hundred percent barring injury that she will make it to the UFC. Uh, that's sure. her goal, and sure. because there's just not that many women who are wanting to, I guess, uh, fight other women in a cage. <laughs> but right. uh, but and then there's this whole other bias. You know, I've I've experienced um, uh, lately. I've been experiencing. Um, some bias uh, toward me being a minister and uh, being involved in combat sports, um, yeah. it, which is really, uh, which has really bothered me quite a bit um, uh, because, you know, I, I, I have um, used jujitsu uh, to witness to so many people, you know, I've done more jujitsu weddings right. uh, and jujitsu funerals uh, of people and, and share the gospel with so many people. Um, because of jujitsu that I would have never uh, been able to do that. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it, so. yeah, for for sure. Um, I think that's that's actually a great. That would be a great subject for another episode. Actually, to go into um, combat sports and religion, specifically Christianity, and to really kind of address that because I think there's there's a lot of people, whether they're Christians or not, that that have certain preconceived notions about what a Christian can or can't do. Um, and I think that would be that would be great to to explore. Another thing I would love, absolutely love to explore with you also is um, the family dynamics in the dojo and, and the role of instructors as the role models and, and change, actually having to change how you interact with your students once once you've kind of donned that leadership role. Because um, I think a lot of martial arts instructors tend to be very individualistic in the sense that they don't really care. Um, how they act outside of the mat or even on the mat, and um, what that means for their stu- their students who look up to them. Like uh, an instructor can say, you know, my, my students are their own people. Um, I never asked them to to emulate me, and you know, um, I don't, you know, I, I don't I don't set myself as as up as a role model, so I don't expect them to to. To copy me or emulate me at all, but the problem is, when you step in a position like that, that dynamic forms whether you like it or not for, between the teacher and the student. And um, I, I think you you do have a responsibility to to be the best person you can be in that situation, um, regardless of who you are your, or your or your your background, because you are affecting the behavior of those people. You are affecting the values that those people consider important, um, whether you consider yourself that sort of role model or not. Oh, absolutely. Um, you are, you, you are definitely, uh, influencing the lives of people and you don't really, you don't really look at it or know it. And, you know, your, your attitude, uh, you know, and, and whatever you think of, uh, the karate kid, um, between Mr. Miyagi and, uh, and the Cobra Kai, uh, John Kreese, uh, definitely two different, um, mentalities of instructors. Um, and, you know, back many years ago, John Kreese, um, John Kreese was definitely not, not a good example. And today I'm, I'm almost, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, uh, the way our society is. And I watched the karate kid and I'm almost, uh, I hate to say that we need somebody (laughs) that, that is teaching, you know, that, that type of martial art where, you know, it's, it's okay to be a man, you know, um, in, in, in some sense to, to, to have some sort of, of, um, the ability to say what you believe without, you know, someone, um, someone else, um, um, chopping your head off. Um, right. I, I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm just floored the way our society has moved today, um, where people, you know, hold stuff against you that you said when you were, you know, in the ninth grade uh, yeah, or, or, or something you did that was stupid and it's brought up uh, now. 
uh, even though you may not believe that or think that any longer. Now, there's some things that haven't changed that people still believe or think a certain way. Uh, but um, people have, I mean, that's the only surety that God has given us is that we we can change. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. God doesn't, we do, thank goodness. Right. It, yeah, and um, there's, uh, I don't remember who who coined the, the who made the quote, but, um, you know, a, 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 a barbarian society is actually the most polite society in, in a sense, because the slights are not tolerated. They're, they're called out. Um, grudges have less of an opportunity to fester and boil up. Um, and polite people tend to be passive aggressive people. They tend to, um, be more nuanced in their approach, um, dare I say, uh, feminine in their approach to how they 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 um, try and um, attack other people, and that creates that sort of indirectness creates a um, a culture that a culture a negative culture that kind of festers and boils up into violence that will be worse than if it were more out in the open. Especially, yes. especially among males, the the worst thing among males is is indirect communication. It it doesn't work. It creates frustration. Frustration in males often can can become physical because um, that's just how males are wired, whether you like it or not. It's a biological fact. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm not against polite society. The the problem is is you can be too polite, especially among among men. And the best friends. The friends who are honestly that that are the most loyal and when it when it counts the most tender with each other the most um, dare I say intimate are the friends who can greet each other with insults and um, just you know <laughs> jab at each other um, th- throughout the course of conversation and literally do not remember it ten minutes later those those are all the best friends. Um, and mm-hmm. there's a con, you know, there's a context for that. There's a context for politeness. Obviously, you don't males do not greet each other like that if they don't know each other. Um, that's a no no. <laughs> that's something that I think women do not understand about male culture is that uh, it's it's an in, you know insults to each other is an in group thing. <laughs> you don't you never yeah. ever insult somebody you don't know. <laughs> a, well, a male. See, well, you know what's interesting is or. You think you know them. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That too is that you'll have people who jump in who think they know. Uh, you don't know, so it's it's it is a definitely a male thing. And the problem is, I live with five women, uh, and uh, I I I try to take that male mentality into my own um, <laughs> own house and realize quickly. Yeah that uh, women do not take that kind of joking uh, the same way. (laughs) Um, It's, 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 it's a male thing. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting is if I don't pick on you generally uh, one or two things, I don't know you that well um, or I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's just the, just the uh, one of the two, if I'm joking and cutting up with you, Part of it is, um, you know, here's a, here's um, the thing, is um, I generally call people by the wrong name in my gym a lot, um, <laughs> uh, purposely. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll, oh, Ron I'll Swanson. Give, <laughs> I, I'll, give, I'll give them a, uh, I'll, I'll make up a nickname for them. 
um, I'll bust on them. And the reason being is I want to see what their temperament is. I want yeah. to see, you know, because, I mean, think about this. This is somebody that you've invited into, in a sense, they're, they're obviously customers, and you got to be respectful of that. And, and it, but it lets me know what kind of person you are. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you take, can you take a joke? Can, can you be someone who cuts up? Uh, and I find that out fairly quickly. And the guys I don't think can handle that, I generally don't do it. The guys that I see that can, or if I've got a jerk in my gym, um, I don't want him here. I don't right. want him here. Nobody wants to train with a jerk um, because they're generally the, someone who's going to hurt somebody. Um, yeah. And I don't want my, the members of my family to get hurt and nor do I want them that attitude of the jerk to start bleeding over to other people within the gym. So that that's that's something I do is, look, if you can't take a joke, how are you going to take somebody mounted on top of you trying to choke you? You know, um, yeah. if, you, if you can't take someone picking at your name, uh, how are right. you going to how are you going to take it when somebody picks you up and slams you? That's really one of the reasons I do that is, is that um, and it's in part that kind of that little bit of that culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, one, one thing that some people don't understand, I think even men don't understand about a, a sort of um, chain yanking male culture is that it serves a function to, to regulate the culture. Um, it, if you, if everyone can handle the jokes, but you can't, uh, either everyone else is wrong or, or maybe there's an issue with you. Maybe you're a little bit too sensitive or maybe you can't be counted on where um, self-control actually would be really um, useful, where, where, it, where it could be in some cases uh, life-saving. Um, that it really boils down to self-control and a, a lack of ego. Um, you know, can you handle what your friends say to you when they're when they're yanking your chain, or are you going to be too sensitive about it and actually show that you lack self-control? Mm-hmm. It's you know, so I think self-control is the 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 real MVP that results from this type of male culture, which could be easily and can cross over into bullying. But it, it, when it's among people who have a good relationship with each other, it's obviously not bullying. And right. we, you kind of know it. I can't say what the rules are with it because they're, they're a little bit fluid. There are some things you just never say to a friend, but um, you know your relationship dynamics with your best friends and you know what you shouldn't say because everyone has their limits. So, you know, there, there is a limit and there's certain lines that you don't cross that are, that are hard to um, strictly demarcate, I guess you could say. Uh, right. But um, there is a point when it crosses into bullying, but generally it isn't. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of Christians struggle with that. I think, I think that um, certain male elements of the evangelical community are so averse to any, any traditional male, um, culture and especially the, uh, the, um, I, I, they're not feminists, but they, they, they have a lot of the, the same values in the very, and are very vocal in the evangelical community. Um, they want to remove, they want to remove the traditionally male masculine, um, 
outgrowths of camaraderie completely because they view it as detrimental. Where when in reality, most of us are not only not too affected by it, but we're actually made stronger by it. And then some men on the outskirts never understand it. And they believe that because it was detrimental to them, therefore it's detrimental to males in general. Which, if you ever grew up with brothers, I did. I have, I have, I have three brothers. Yeah, um, two, two younger brothers. Yeah, all of mine are younger than me. I'm, I'm, uh, I was top of the food chain, I guess you could say. So yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't get the, I didn't get the chain yanking quite as bad because I could always just knock them down. <laughs> uh, but, but you know that, yeah, it sucks to get you know, people have your brothers always trying to get under your skin. And, you know, if you, if you cross the line, you get a punch or a knockdown or a slap, you know, whatever, but you build a bond that's really strong later on. And then eventually you, you ignore all that stuff. Like you, you, like, especially with your friends, like you, it's like, you know, water off, off your back. They say something, you laugh and there's like, you know, it, that's that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, and part of it is just the culture, you know, that, um, we live in today has become so postmodern has become, um, I, I, so, um, so social justice warrior, um, that politically correct. I don't even know if that's even I don't even know if you can call it what was politically correct anymore. I, I don't even, I, I don't understand. I remember years ago when I was pastoring and, and I'd have somebody in their eighties go, Frank, I just don't understand this, uh, this world today. And I said, well, it's just because you've gotten older. Well, I'm, I'm in my forties and I don't understand this culture anymore. I, I really yeah. don't. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's maybe it's just because we're becoming a European culture. That's been my, uh, um, ideas. We, we send Europe our um, pop culture. They send us their morality slowly. And so I, I think that we are just becoming a European morality um, <laughs> slowly and surely that we are becoming more European. And it's just that, that we are taking the, um, those politics from them. So, yeah. Yeah. It's um, I don't totally understand it either. I think that a, um, so there's there's a there's a good aspect of of removing the stigma from mental illness, and then there is a trade off, and I think one of the trade offs with re, with um, with removing um, the the stigma around uh, mental illness is that people with a decreased and abnormal capacity to handle normal social interaction, which includes slights and, and banter and um, the accidental, usually not the intentional mention of something that could be quote unquote triggering. Um, the, <laughs> they, they become louder in their opinion. Um, and so the, the culture moves away from people who 80, 90% of which can quickly recover from those sorts of things, many of which are accidents. They're not even on purpose. Uh, to now we have to cater, we have to, in every single um, engagement we have, now we have to cater to the person who might be offended, which decreases the things we can talk about, how we can talk about them. Um, 
just to to the point that n- now the the minority voice um, dictates the the broader culture, which I think is really detrimental because you you never know. Um, some people just get offended when they shouldn't, right? It's it's actually. It, some in some cases, the person who cries the loudest is not the real victim. Sometimes the real victim is the person who did not mean any harm, said something that that was taken and perceived as offensive by the other person, and the other person basically just shamed them and and, and made them embarrassed for over something that that really it just didn't it didn't matter, right? And the person who is the loudest, e- even if it's a minority, kind of dictates. Um, who everyone perceives as the victim, and probably the problem the problem with the the culture not understanding masculinity um, and not allowing for real dis- honest discussions about the the limits of of masculinity, what is what is what what is normal within the bounds of that masculinity, which I, I would say that that friends who insult each other is pretty normal and for for among among men. Um, when you marginalize that men who do not understand why they're required in every single context even among their best friends to be politically correct and to watch what they're saying and to just be basically a mathematician or a surgeon with every word that comes out of their mouth they will become frustrated and with no clear place to go where there are there are examples of men who are men who are traditionally masculine in many ways, but can teach them how to be self-controlled, how to be gentlemen, how to be kind, they're going to run to the most extreme uh, examples of that. And they will end up in a situation that truly is toxic, (laughs) that really is detrimental or unsafe or dangerous to the people around them, especially women. Um, And that, that that's just what happens when you try to instead of have real honest conversations, you just try to shut down and remove um, self-controlled masculine masculinity out of the picture because you you consider that as the same as uh, somebody who who promotes rape culture or who promotes um, the shaming of men for for seeking out uh, uh, professional psychological help, which I know. Um, are, are you a licensed counselor now or? Yeah, yeah, I've been a, uh, yeah, I've been an LPC for about, um, 10, um, uh, about 10 years doing a, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I think this is my 10th year as an LPC. I've been, yeah, I've been doing counseling. I'm, you know, as I, you know, I, I just, side note, you know, I've worked with sex offenders now going on, uh, 15 years and, uh, I'm expert business and and I'm I'm just I uh, was uh, selected by the governor of Georgia to be on the uh, sex offender registration review board so yeah a lot of a lot of counseling <laughs> uh in my in my background yeah and would you would you say that a traditional um kind of chain yanking sort of masculinity is that like a, an indicator or a predictor of um sexual assault behavior uh, no, uh, you know, sexual assault behavior, uh, you know, what, what's interesting is one of the new stats out is uh, really domestic, coming from a domestic violence background, really is that creation of, of, the, uh, of that type of mentality. Uh, 
you know, you know, men, men joking around with men is, um, to me is, is, is healthy. It keeps our narcissism in check. Um, right. Whereas, you know, the idea of, you know, obviously degrading, uh, women and, uh, treating women, um, in a non, uh, biblical manner. Um, and, and what I mean with that, with love and respect and dignity, uh, kind of creates that culture. But, you know, we're in this whole outrage culture where someone's ticked off at someone until the next thing to be ticked off with them is about, you know, is uh, right. just, just blown away um, at um, how we have, um, we no longer can joke and cut up. Um, that that anything that's said about anybody is now racist or sexist or uh, even in, in a joking way or just stating the you know the jokes and the obvious. Um, it, it's um, you know, don't me wrong. There there is a a a time in which somebody says something that is racist or feminist or uh, misogynistic or any of those types of uh, of things that are said. Um, but uh, again, where that line is, is really, you know, being not determined by the person that is doing it is by everybody else. Um, and intent doesn't matter anymore. Intent is thrown out the window. You intended to be this way. You intended to be mean. You intended to be ugly. That's your intent. Your intent doesn't matter. Uh, with anyone anymore, even what you stupidly said when you were 10 years old or 15 years old is, is very scary. You know, I think 90% of fortune 500 companies now uh, look at everybody's social media to determine whether or not they're going to hire them or not. Um, yeah. You know, we live in a society where the Emmys and the Oscars won't have hosts because they may have said something to offend somebody 10 years ago. Uh, comedians can't go on college campuses anymore because somebody's going to be uh, triggered by something. And, you know, I've said this for years. If my words can hurt you, we're, we're in a sad state when words can destroy you and make you cry. Um, you know, my, my biggest yeah. fear is we're going to have to storm Normandy with these kids today. That's my biggest fear is that these guys are going to have to storm Normandy and because some real Hitler is going to show up. And that that's my biggest fear is that they, they can't even handle somebody saying, you know, something about them. Uh, and and they're they're going to have to fight somebody for real. Uh, that That's, yeah. you know, that's part of the mentality that teaching people to joke and cut up with one another is people not taking themselves too serious. You know, the reason right. something offends you is your pride. Uh, you, there, there must be right. something true about it. Um, if your pride can't handle it, uh, and, yeah. and, and part of, part of that is, 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 is narcissism when you can't take a joke and somebody says something about your looks or your hair or whatever, um, you know, I'm in control. That that's the biggest problem I have trying to explain to somebody in counseling is that you are responsible for your own feelings. You're responsible for your own thoughts. You're responsible for your own actions. I'm not responsible for how you feel. Um, if I am, yeah. you've done nothing but give me too much power over your life. Nobody should be able to control your life. Nobody should be able to control your feelings or control your thoughts, control your actions. You are responsible uh, to God uh, for your behavior. 
And, and that's the plain and simple fact of it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of a very traditionally masculine view of, I mean, that, that, that's good for everyone to, to consider whether you're a male or a female, but that's, I think the, the whole point of, of a, a traditional male culture is that you are building and maintaining, not, not, not just building, but maintaining that the ability to, um, to control and regulate your own feelings. So obviously the system isn't perfect because if you can't handle it, then you leave the end group. So the group regulates itself and it remains a group, but, but the, the, down the, the downside of that is that the person ends up on the outside and they end up bitter. And um, there's not always somebody there to kind of take them under their, their wing and say, hey, look, man, these are good guys, but if you wanna be cool with them, then you need to be able to handle the heat because they are going to pick up, they're going to find out what your flaws are and they're going to pick at them and how, um, how good of friends you are going to be able to be with them is going to be determined by how well you handle it. And what you find is a lot of times is when you handle, when you can handle that, that criticism, a lot of it disappears. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, you can email me at josh at combatlearning.com or send me a message on facebook.com slash combatlearning. Now, real quick before I go, can I ask you a huge favor? If you got value from this episode, leave us a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. So many shows pop up and fizzle out. And we're talking about stuff that nobody else is talking about, and we want to stick around. So leaving us a review helps us a ton. Finally, the show is produced by Micah Peacock. Thanks in advance, and I'll see you on the next episode.